What's up, my party people? My name is Darren Hansen. You're listening to another episode of Oak Performance Radio. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Oak Performance Radio. I'm your host, Adam Lane. If you're new to the show, our goal here is to create some content, some fantastic content for athletes, parents, and coaches. We tell stories, have laughs, and go into everything that is the end game of athletic performance, helping athletes achieve their optimal performance and be the best they can possibly be. Enjoy the show. Hey, Oak Performance Radio listeners. This episode is brought to you by Power Athlete the world's premier resource for training athletes, educating coaches, and nutrition. Our goal is to provide world-class solutions for real-world athletes and coaches. We are fortunate to work with thousands of athletes around the globe, and we have taken them to the highest levels of performance. If you're working with athletes or trying to improve yourself with a performance goal, come check us out at powerathletehq.com. And if you want some dope merch, we have an amazing collection of black shirts with white skulls. Use the code AMAZING10 for 10% off your initial purchase. If you need anything performance-related, like I said, come check us out at powerathletehq.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Oak Performance Radio. I'm your host, Adam Lane. With me today, Mr. Darren Hansen from Hansen Athletics in beautiful Idaho. Beautiful Idaho fall we're enduring right now, Darren. Beautiful. Trees are turning. Colors, are they? I don't know. I'm not there. Is it nice? Idaho, fall in Idaho has to be awesome, I would think. Yeah, it's actually the, my favorite season in Idaho, spring and fall, but uh, we're just kicking into fall. So last two weeks have been like perfect. Uh, winter comes too fast, but right now it's like 70 degrees and then 55 at night. And uh, trees haven't started to change yet. We got a ton of water uh, during, in the summer more than normal. So I think we'll have a little bit later fall, hopefully delay that winter. Last year we had like a six month winter, so. Not looking forward to that long again. So hopefully we delay that fall just a little bit. Here we go. Here we go. So Darren, for the for the tens of people that listen to the show that that might not know you and how big of a deal you are and everything that Hanson Athletics is doing, give us give us the breakdown here. Give us the background. What's what, what do you do? How do you do it? And why are you such a big deal? Oh man. Uh, so we're a performance gym in Pocatello, Idaho, small towns where I grew up. Um, you know, collectively, all our coaches kind of spread out. Uh, after high school, I went to school with a couple of my coaches. We all went and coached at D1 universities after playing some sports. And then we ended up coming back uh, by happenstance to Pocatello and starting up the gym in my garage. And then this will be our uh, coming up on our seventh year uh, open. And we have our facility here and we train a lot of middle school, high school and collegiate athletes and help some people remotely. Um, that's where we're at now. We, we all have had an extensive background. I mean, I used to uh, coach a USA weightlifting team, national team, and um, used to CrossFit and do all that stuff. So I have taken little things from all my different journeys in life and uh, created Hans Athletics. And now we work with specifically mostly uh, youth athletes. We have some adult programs, but uh, we're really dialed in on that performance side and, and helping uh, people, humans, and athletes achieve higher performance, uh, even if that's you know outside of the gym. You're just going to work and doing stuff with your kids, all the way to you know handfuls of athletes trying to make it to the professional level. So um, I think we're special because we try really hard. We create a really cool environment, and the athletes love being in our facility, and that's what I attribute to our success. So. There we go. So Darren, we also coach quite a few of those 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 high school collegiate kids. The kids that you have coming in every day, what what do you notice about them? What is like you've been in this game for a little bit? Like this is this is not you know I sorry I say a little bit like sorry, 
you've been in this game for a bit, a while. <laughs> what, what, what are you noticing with, with kids? What do, what do athletes need? What, what, what do they not have? What are you giving them? Yeah, I think, I think one thing that athletes, Oh, this is, this is a great question. So first off, what I noticed about these kids is I think they're highly intelligent and in tune with, with a lot of things because of social media, because of the internet in good and bad ways. But I think the athlete today is very interested in the why behind what you're doing uh, to create buy-in and and some explanations of, you know, what the coaches are doing, why we're doing it and how it's going to help them. I think there's, despite what people say about the kids of this generation, I think there's a lot of very motivated uh, athletes that uh, will go for far lengths as long as they know you're there for the right reasons and you care about them. And uh, yeah, so I, I go against the grain of like, people are like, oh, kids are lazy now. I think I think they just need a lot of uh, of attention to detail and explaining and then um, knowing you're there for the right reasons uh, with them. And that's really the secret. And they need something they can enjoy because right now the clubs, everybody that has youth athletes, people in our space, club sport demand, sport practice demand, games, how many games they play, it's all way, 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 way up from what it used to be. And uh, in my opinion, if you try to run a strength conditioning facility and just add to that stressor uh, in terms of not physically, but mentally, it, it, it becomes too much. And uh, you're one of the first things to go. And I think it actually needs to be the best hour of their day where they get coached positively and they walk out with a win because there's a lot of opportunities to lose in an, a youth athlete's uh, daily cycle now. And there's a lot of sport and like I said, a lot of everything going on. So how do we make this their best time of the day and they enjoy it and they're still getting better? The, the athletes that you see, are they mostly in season? Are they mostly out of season? Are they constantly in season? Good question. We, so I would say two years ago, they were mostly out of season. And now we've created that culture of where uh, half and I mean, we we're running kids all year round uh, in season. They scale back on sessions, but, uh, some of our training is modified or changed a little bit uh, based on the coach's uh, feedback of the athlete each day when they come in um, based on for in-season athletes. But uh, yeah, we're now we're to the point where we're, I mean, this is our best fall ever in terms of I still got football guys coming in. I still got volleyball girls coming in. Um, we don't really have a ton of athletes anymore that are just like, hey, it's, you know, we're starting season. I'm going to be gone. And I, I attribute that to really, we're getting really great results. And Part of that is that consistency in season and we're able to keep kids healthier, maintaining key metrics throughout the season versus seeing a, a distinct fall off when people stop. Yeah. Dude, I remember back in high school football, literally like we'd, we'd lift our faces off in the summer, you know, and then go into the season and da da da, you know, after whatever Saturday mornings after games and stuff like that, after Friday night games, we, we'd get in and lift. Um, and that lasted like one or two weeks until like we were all beat up and tired and the coaches didn't want to wake up that early and yada 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 um and so and then finally when we found the weight room again you know back in october november after the season was over it was amazing how much we had lost um so for you talking about you know keeping track of key metrics and stuff like that keeping you know athletes happy healthy and strong you know completely makes sense um i i am amazed and um i've had some conversations with many coaches friends of ours um who like we're trying to in the, in the way of creating training programs and protocols and stuff like that. When it's, I agree with you years ago when we had kids in season, kids out of season. Oh my gosh, this is so easy. We put them on hey blank program and just run them 
you know, for three months. Um, and, and it was good because they, they were out of season and, and when they were here, we could hit them hard. And now I'm going to say a large chunk of our kids are almost constantly in season. Um, and it might be a club season compared to a school season or a school compared to club or, or something like that. But like, there's almost not off time. Like even our track and cross country kids, the second they finish track, you know, they, they get two weeks off and then they're all of a sudden they're training for cross country. Like, Oh, it's to, to be able to, to run programs like we used to, um, if, at least for our end has been very, very different. What do you guys do in the way of the, that, that athlete who club athlete, um, that's really, I'm going to say basically doing their sport year round. I'm not saying it's not completely, obviously there are little breaks and stuff, but they're basically doing their sport year round that often they have to be ready. Like they have to be ready to go. So I would love to smash them in the face, but I can't. <laughs> how do you, how do you guys, how do you, how do you get around that? So you still see progress within the weight room, strength, speed, et cetera, while still making sure that they're able to perform on the court field track. Yeah, that's a great question. So it's kind of twofold. Um, number one is uh, we know our athletes pretty well in terms of uh, we'll have conversations with someone like in that situation where we'll get an idea of like what their what their main sport is or their favorite sport or the sport they're trying to, you know, make it to the next level in. And then we will have conversations about, you know, potentially pushing it in like what would be considered even like some of my volleyball girls, they care more about clubs. So it's like high school season. Um, so we're going to, we're going to push a little bit more. They're okay. If they're a little more, you know, they might be sore. They might be a little bit more tired, but, um, what we do is also keep track of readiness metrics, which throughout the, even when they're in season, you can start to see like weeks that it's okay to get after a little bit more versus not, um, whether that's, you know, they walk in and do some vertical jumps at the beginning of the session to see if there's a huge fall off from where they were at. And then we'll still get all our athletes to a top speed run. Uh, once a week and see if they've had a, a large drop in their ability to run fast. Um, and, and typically those are really good markers of, okay, that athlete's under recovered. So that's going to change uh, their strength work and some of the accessory stuff we're doing, uh, limit the volume and intensity. And uh, what you'll see is I'll have athletes that come in one week, totally wrecked. And then we do a week of that. And then the next week they're testing high or even PRing. So then I'm like, okay, this week we can get a little bit more after training. So it's a little bit, I think you have to be really fluctuating in, in, in that. And most strength coaches want to just have like, okay, I'm going to run this block hard for six weeks and then we're going to get a break. But the real world isn't like that anymore. I think you have to be really uh, intelligent in the way you periodize or the way that you uh, train the athletes and, and be very aware of where they're at so that you can make changes uh, macro, like micro, like weekly, daily, uh, depending on, on where the athlete's at. And sometimes if you know them well enough, you can see just when they walk in the door like, okay, you're toast today. Like wouldn't even have to do a jump or a sprint. So that's my answer to that. Um, obviously in the summers we get after it pretty heavy, even though they have club, they'll have club, uh, volleyball stuff going on and, and soccer, but, uh, that's kind of, uh, where we see the biggest advantage because we can get kids more often in the gym. Um, so maybe it's not necessarily daily work is harder, but they're just getting more volume throughout the days because they're coming more times to the gym. Um, but yeah, gone are the days I think of with athletes where you're like, okay, now we have a three month break. Like that's, yeah. that's like unheard of now. There's like a few rare athletes, but, um, if it's basketball or volleyball, like, man, they, they don't really ever have a three month break football. If you're like a football only guy, you got big breaks. So it just depends on the sport, but 
that's kind of the approach we take. No, that's fantastic. And and honestly, I I see us doing the same thing. Like it, we'll we'll have a fantastic program written up, and then somebody will walk in, and you I, really you you said it just when you, you can see it, like it bags under their eyes, yeah. and, you know, like they're moving in slow motion, and like they really look like they they, they don't want to be here. Which let's be clear, they always want to be here, you know. So yeah, that uh, it 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 it's changed our. I don't even want to say methodology a little bit, but it's the, the flexibility that we've had to have to, you know, I don't know, make sure we don't overdo it. Cause you're yeah. right. The, when they get too busy, the first thing they're going to cut is, is this like, that's, you know, Oh, I'm too yeah. busy. I can't make it. You know? And I think, I think real quick, a great point by that was like, that also builds the athletes trust. Like if they walk in feeling like that, like they, this is a really tough day for them. They're tired. They don't really want to be there. Like, as a coach, if you smash them that day, you're going to lose a lot of their trust um, and potentially lose that athlete. But if if you're accommodating and flexible and you're able to kind of have them walk out feeling a little bit better than when they came in, that's going to be like micro wins of trust with your program. And then when the things do really get hard and they're really tired, they're still going to want to come because they know that they're going to feel, you know, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to feel a little bit more recovered and I'm going to get some work in uh, versus like completely just getting smashed and then be like, okay, I need to stop. You know, like that's huge. Like that interaction is, in my opinion, huge, and why we've been so successful now in keeping athletes is because we ha- we have their trust in season to not do something stupid. You know, yeah. I, I um, we have a little relationship, and this is this is a different podcast here, but Mitch Hull from 3D Coaching. Um, uh, if yeah, if, if people want to check it out, if you go to 3D Institute, but it actually, um they're a company that actually coaches coaches on how to coach. Um, and they work a lot with school districts and stuff like that. Um, cause you know this, I know this coaches are so valuable. So, so powerful, if you will, like kids, kids look up to the, Oh my gosh, whatever the, the varsity basketball coach says, whatever the varsity football coach says. So great. But they put no actual effort into developing these coaches and they're, they're probably some of the most powerful people with, with, within this, within this district. Um, he, he makes, uh, the, the comment about you never want to be an athlete's last coach, you know, be like, Oh, Hey, you, you playing volleyball this year. No, no, I'm, I'm done. Da, 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 da. And year before, you know, coach Hanson was your coach and what, whatnot. And that's, you know, it's to, and not saying the kid coach kids don't, you know, come and go from sport and stuff like that. Cause obviously that happens. But, um, you know, if you, if you have that kid's trust, um, because you could you 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 listen to them because you're you're not a jag bag because you will actually like coach I am dying I don't want to be here I got three hours of sleep and I had a you know chemistry final and blah 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 and yeah I mean I don't know a lot of it I think is just common sense too Aaron I think it's funny how some strength coaches are so you know or sport coaches too just do 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 what I say yeah yeah you just got to pay attention I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just no, for sure. Let's let's talk training a little bit, Darren. You're known for known for the speed work of things. Okay, if you check out any social media on Hanson Athletics, you guys you guys have. I thought you actually had like acres of grass, but no, it's turf, just turf for miles, in 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 Idaho here. What? Um, I just thought you brought in the goats to keep it nice and true. Right. <laughs> talk about your your angle on speed work because I have just former track and field coach. Um, former cross country coach, I find it so interesting in this realm of speed, um, both ends of how knowledgeable and how people can break it down to the nth degree, and then how not intelligent people are 
um, in the same breath. What talk about anything speed work? Yeah. Um, okay. So I would say kind of the progression of it was three or four years ago. Uh, we came from more of a traditional strength background and uh, we're doing okay with athletes, I thought. But as we started to dive into uh, the speed training side, started to make a lot of sense for me tying it into the weightlifting, how we're lifting weights and whatnot, because I started going down that rabbit hole of just understanding like majority of athletes. Uh, you know, I think the biggest change you can make, uh, you don't necessarily athletes nowadays don't need to be huge and massive and bodybuilders. So what you see now successful is a little bit leaner. Um, I would say really high ability to fire this, the central nervous system and, and they're quick and they're fast and they're reactive. And that's, you know, speed kills is the, the simple saying of that. And that's really a separator too for uh, an athlete that's midsize, that's never, doesn't have the genetics to be huge. Um, but, but what can they do to potentially, you know, play well in high school, get a college scholarship. And you'll see in the NFL this year, there's even like four or five guys that I just saw last Sunday that are five, five to five, nine, and they're small, but they're really, really fast. So um, those are separators. And then what I found through going into that is we started uh, spending more time in our sessions. So now I'd say we're like 30 to 35 minutes on speed, 25 to 30 minutes on strength. And we've actually been able to get better results um, on the strength side for what we're looking for by incorporating and prioritizing speed work. And uh, really the body can't do anything faster than sprinting. So the developing the CNS and training the body to move quickly, fire quickly, uh, sprinting is the king. So there's no other movement you can do in the gym that's going to replicate that. Um, and so my mindset is more shifted around all my strength work, uh, help helping the athletes to perform better on, on the sprints and on the speed side. So, uh, yeah, so now all of our sessions uh, include uh, typically we have an acceleration day, a top end day, and then an Excel change of direction day. Uh, we also have really been diving into teaching athletes how to control their speed because a lot of the GPS data we're getting uh, top speed, which we can get into in a second, top speed is great. But if, unless you're a track athlete, um, I, I see that as a, an adaptation, which we'll get into in a second, that is more important in a different way. But being able to control your speed, like football is played typically between 14 and 16 miles per hour. So if you, two things that happens if you have a higher top speed is number one, the game seems slower. So athletes are able to play at a more relaxed uh pace and are able to make better decisions and and look fast on the field even though they're not moving as fast as they can and number two is they look much more conditioned because if somebody can run 21 miles an hour and in football they're running 16 17 consistently it's a lower relative effort they're recovered faster and uh they actually look like they're in better shape and i think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they think like oh i need to run the crap out of my athletes i don't think that's true i think you need to build that speed reserve to where their capabilities are a lot higher than what the demand of sport is. And now they can play that game a lot slower and a lot lower relative effort than an athlete that can run 18 miles an hour. If an athlete that can run 18 miles an hour has to play at, you know, 15 to 17 miles per hour in a sport, they're going to be gassed pretty quickly because they're basically giving full uh, effort relatively uh, each play. And uh, my fast kids are essentially feeling like they're uh, playing, you know, 60, 70%, but they look fast on the field. So that's where I saw a huge adaptation. I also saw my lifting got better, not in terms of like max weights as much per se, but uh, we tracked bar speeds and, and all our bar speeds were going up. We were able to hit heavier weights faster. 
And so all of our strength work now, we do a ton of a ton of bar speed work. Uh, we look at how fast the bar is moving. We don't worry about weights. We don't prescribe weights. We prescribe uh, speeds. And then we do a ton of ISO work because on the field, you get a ton of concentric and eccentric action, but you don't get a lot of isometric. So we're just trying to fill those gaps of what the athlete's getting on the field. Definitely what they're not going to get in the weight room at the high school because a lot of my athletes also go to the high school and uh, overall helps them get faster. And obviously there's a technical side to that as well. Teaching athletes how to, if they're not a track athlete, I don't think it has to look pretty, but it's got to be effective and it's got to be uh, a pattern that's not going to result in a lot of injuries. So not a lot of heel striking, overstriding. Now we got to protect the hamstrings, but um, outside of that, we spend a lot more time actually just getting the athletes at full speed. The technical side is smaller, maybe five minutes, eight minutes at the beginning of the session, but a lot of just finding ways to get athletes to run really fast consistently has been a massive change in philosophy for us and we are now putting out more college athletes than ever we have like three or four that are probably gonna be mlb nba and uh i'm just seeing i'm like wow you know that was really an eye-opener for me coming from a traditional strength background or a crossfit background was volume volume isn't the answer and as heavy as you can lift isn't the answer so yeah that's kind of where we're at now no, that, that's fantastic. So when I, when I coach track, specifically our, our recipe for our sprinters um, is that our, our, our Monday would be our fly day because you're, you're, you're coming off of weekend, you're rested, relaxed. Da, da. And so we, we would you know, start with fly 10s early in the season and then you know, hit that for a few weeks and then progress up to 15s and progress up to 20s and, and so on and so forth. Um, again, track of it. So we had two hours in which to you know, get, get practice done. Wednesdays would be our block day you know, specifically, you know, that static creation of acceleration day. Um, but because we're track and field, we use blocks. So we're going to use that and actually, you know, work, work on the actual form of getting out of the block along with that acceleration piece and similar thing that we'd start with a block 10, move to a block 15, block 20 did it as the season goes on. And then our typically Saturday would be is some type of durational piece where, um, we, we call them, gosh, what did we call them? We call them 17 second runs, even though, cause that's just where it started. But we would, we, we, we'd, we'd start them. You'd partner up three, two, one, go. You'd sprint as fast as you can for 17 seconds and then beep, you know, and we'd find that spot on the track where they stopped and then we'd back it up five yards and we'd put, put a cone and you get five minutes to rest and then we're going to do it again and you get five minutes to rest and then we're going to do it again and you get to go until you can't, can't hit that cone anymore. Um, so sorry, it's funny, funny to say it like, or funny to see as you, as you set that up. Very, very similar thing. We didn't do the the breakdown change of direction stuff, though in hindsight, I think that deacceleration piece is absolutely huge. Less important for a track athlete, but I can't tell you how many shin splints and knee issues and you know stress fractures stuff that we get that I think could have been mitigated with a little bit more athleticism. Um, yeah. Darren, sorry, that's just where my head went. You said so much good stuff there. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. No. I, I, I want to I mean, state too, like for you know track athletes and then for those listening to this, like, the biggest, yeah, controlling that speed, which is goes right in hands with change of direction, like that, that, that ability to decelerate change directions, which deceleration also ties in that ISO I talked about, like that's going to be what separates you first on the field in terms of like play to play, like your ability to accelerate and, and decelerate and change direction. Unless you're a track athlete, like that's going to be the first adaptation that people will start to notice and be like, wow, that athlete's gotten a lot faster, right? And then that top end is only going to come out really in a big play, maybe once or twice a game. Um, so it's good to have it. But again, I just think of it more as like 
that just makes my athletes look well conditioned because they have a high speed reserve and they're able to make better decisions on the field. Do you want to talk about the conditioning piece? Because that, that that's yeah. always the thing with like, and I hate to say it. Sometimes we see it within our parents. Like they want, they expect their kid to come here and us to kick the crap out of them and them, them to like limp out of here because we, we beat them up and you know, we, yeah. we ran them. They, they pushed sleds until they vomited or something like that. Um, talk, talk, talk about your views on conditioning. Yeah. The first off, like that's a total wrong mindset is crushing kids. And you brought up a great point when you talked about uh, training speed, right? So you, what did you say? Five minute rest between reps. So uh, that's where people really go wrong is they think like, Oh, I need to have this uh, huge endurance in terms of that. But you're, you're not training speed if you're not giving massive rest. You got to think about it like if you're more familiar with the weight room. Like if I said you got to do a one rep max every 15 seconds, like obviously that's stupid, right? And that's that's the same in speed is like if you want an athlete to run fast, like as fast as they can and elicit that adaptation or like got to get over 95% of your best, there's no way you're doing that on a one-minute clock, two-minute clock, whatever. So people get uncomfortable. Coaches get uncomfortable with long rest periods, but – uh, if you're actually trying to, you know, train speed, get your football team faster, you're on the field, uh, instead of doing like gassers, whatever, I think a lot of teams would be better off, you know, running 10 to 40 yard sprints, depending on where you're at in, in the progression in the season and giving massive rest periods. Like if you come watch one of our sessions in here, like dude, there's a lot of standing around and that doesn't mean the athletes aren't working hard. Like at first I was uncomfortable with that, but, um, you have to have those rest periods for, I mean, it's well researched for the body to be able to repeat those efforts. And uh, usually we're only going to get four to seven top speed, good top speed reps out of them um, in training before we lift. So those are, those are all points that need to be heard. And, and I have GPS data on soccer. Like people think like our high school soccer conditioning test, one of our high schools was like, a two mile run and then a little like a four minute rest and then a uh, 400 meter and then a one minute rest and an 800 meter and then a mile. And I'm like, that is the absolute worst thing you could come up with. Um, at least do the beep test, which is like out there and easy to find and easy to do. Um, because I have GPS data and it's basically like sprint and walk, sprint and walk, sprint and walk, sprint and walk. So uh, it's really frustrating because it, you it feels like common sense if you just like do a little bit of uh, looking into human body physiology like and understand and looking at what what is the athlete doing on the field in a game like that's where you should start and say how how can we improve that versus just sticking to something you did 20 years ago um that didn't make any sense like there's so much information out there now for free and a majority of people are messing it up and like i said dude we don't do any conditioning in here and all my all my football guys are crushing it. The coaches are like, wow, they're in great shape. We didn't do any aerobic work really like at all. And uh, they're in fantastic shape. They're healthy. They're playing well. They're running fast. They're hitting hard. They're scoring touchdowns. Like it, it's like the proof's in the pudding and yet people still don't want to listen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's easy to look like, oh, I, I need my athletes to be in shape. So we're going to, we're going to run them. I remember literally in, in high school football, high school football, very, very average offensive lineman. Like we had the mile test here. We had the mile. I had to run a mile and under, I forgot what it was seven minutes or something like that. Um, but I think it was just a way for coaches to be, oh, okay. Make sure, make sure you're 
you're working out, make sure you're training, you know, something, something, something. Um, we want you in decent shape, which I kind of get that end of things. However, I agree with you. 1994 was a long time ago, and, you know, we've, we've, we've grown a lot since then. The idea of you get your kids in, in good shape. It doesn't mean, like, 5K shape. That yeah. soccer conditioning is crazy, by the way. Holy cow. Um, like, but you, you get them to, to a nice baseline level of strength, of, of, of speed. You know, you are, you are strong and healthy. And da-da. Now you want to get in condition for your sport. Now go play your sport a lot. Like, that, that's the conversation yeah. I have with volleyball in the way of, our kids are a little tired. Well, you need to practice harder. Like, get after it. Do up-downs. Like, keep, keep, keep rolling. Just play and play and play and play and play and play. Now you get the, the benefit of the sport. Now they're going to get better at their sport because they're playing their sport more. They're not doing some stupid conditioning thing. You're not getting better yeah. at soccer by, by running two miles. Go go kick a ball yeah. while you're having to breathe hard and heavy and then sprint and then stop and sprint and change direction. And, you know, you're just – it helps everyone out. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what that's what we say too. Is like if you want your athletes, like your conditioning should come from playing sport. So you're playing your sport, you kick and butt, and uh, at practice you make you can make conditional drill, like condition, like playing in different scenarios and settings that elicit like the type of tempo of the game you want. Um, but all your conditioning should come from actually practicing the sport because that, that's going to relatively. Uh, track back to better performance on the field in the sport is like having that actually be the sport they're playing. So that's what we say as well. Um, conditioning should be implemented in, in the sport setting by playing the sport. Uh, you're wasting your time and wasting opportunities for skill development by just, you know, running a two mile test or out having them jog around training for training for that. So you're, you're wasting time. You're beating up athletes. Uh, they're, you know, they're not, they're running, you know, unreal volume when they don't need to be it's not going to get them in shape and they're going to have shin splints and some issues coming into season and honestly if i'm if i ever swing into sport coaching when i get older like i don't want my athletes in the best shape game game one i want my athletes in the best shape uh, by the end of the season um that's going to come through playing right and it's also going to keep my athletes healthier uh, than trying to jump into game one in the best shape of our life because athletes are not going to be able to maintain that for two months like like think about any other think about the olympics like those people are not are not in their best performing shape all year round they they peak and they come together at the moment that it matters the most and that's what the philosophy should be behind your your team training or your team is like you want the healthiest uh, athletes at the end of the season and you're going to perform a lot better than the teams they might be in better shape the first game they might be by a goal in the first game but if they got a bunch of injuries or beat up by the by districts and you beat them in districts and it doesn't matter who won that first game. Right. So I think that's where people get a little bit lost on that is you don't want to hit the season in the best shape of your life. You want, you want that to be uh, towards the end through playing. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Uh, let's bring back to a run form thing a little bit. You, you, you mentioned, um, and I, I couldn't agree with you more with this. Cause I, I see, um, I got years ago, I can't even remember how many years ago this was, but I got pose running certified. Um, and cause there was never, there was never anybody out there like actually teaching, like, this is how you should run. And and it's funny cause I, I watch cross country coaches, like good cross country coaches. I watch track coaches, good cross uh, track coaches that, you know, who've been in the game for a while and da, da, And I never heard them speak a word about the actual form of, of the athlete that, that should be doing anything. They, they always like 
gave like a play-by-play update like get 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 three steps up on this kid or you know hey hit it when you get you know when you hit the turn drop it like there was never and and in other sports like you know hey if the baseball coach sees you know his guy drop his hands and then he's hey hands up you know like you're coaching the movement um except in running which in my mind like I don't know how running running to any different. Um, you mentioned some of the big mistakes that you see kids make. Can you can you expound on that? Because I see the same, but I want to, I want to hear you say them. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's a part of our assessment process, and that's why we have like a ninety five percent close rate on people that come in and do their free assessment. Is uh, most athletes have been asked to sprint and run their entire life, and they haven't been taught once. So. Um, what we typically see, I'd say 95% of the time, is uh, poor posture when running, um, huge backside mechanics. So legs are uh, going far behind the body for those that aren't familiar with what that is. And and those two in result turn into overstriding and a hill strike, which is where you get a lot of, a lot of athletes beat up. If you have a really powerful athlete, that's why they're pulling their hamstring all the time. Uh, their hips are super tight, stuff like that. So they're just think about it like you're driving a car around with the emergency brake on, like you're flooring the car and the emergency brakes on the whole time. Like how that's not good for the car. It's not good for, you know, anything that is in that system. So um, typically what we have to do is we have to work on posture, getting them to understand uh, where their hips need to be in relation to their torso. And then really getting athletes into a front side mechanic, uh, getting them uh, working more in front of their body versus behind their body. Uh, and if you get those two things down, uh, athletes tend to start to fix that foot strike. They end up now in their forefoot. Like you don't have to coach all the little tiny things. If you just get the the big pieces together, the little things start to come into play. And then, uh, we spend a ton of time in our warmups doing, uh, extensive plyometrics, which means low intensity volume plyometrics to get, we need to get the feet strong. Uh, because if you want to sprint well, you have to be able to get off the ground quickly, ground contact times. Well, also, if you have a really poor ground contact time, just because you have a really weak lower leg or foot, uh, you're going to have a really hard time hitting the right position. So uh, we spend a ton of time doing that. We teach the athletes tall, uh, do a bunch of drills and get them into good postures. And then really just focus on front side, front side mechanics, getting the leg out in front, striking underneath the hip. Um, And there's a lot of like little minute things that you can just totally dive too far deep into. I think if you just get like a core concept of things, uh, the athlete understanding and understanding how to put power in the floor from the, from the front of their body, um, or underneath the hip. Once they get into that full, uh, ground contact, it's like, that's all you, that's all you really need to focus on. And I'd say 95% of people that first come to me, they're the opposite of that. Like I said, big backside, uh, have to reach out in front, heel striking and pulling instead of being able to attack or push through the ground. So, uh, a lot of people have the same issue. I, I mean, why that is, not sure. I think that's just like when you're not taught and you sit a lot and you have a weak hip flexors and trunk, uh, you just start to get into those positions and, um, nobody's telling you otherwise and you're not doing anything to work on it. So that's the most efficient way for what's available for the athlete. And, uh, kids are able to fix it pretty quick though. Like we can make a lot of changes on that in just like a month, just because they start to understand uh, what we're looking for. I mean, obviously that doesn't probably care over to the field for, six to eight months in terms of like when they're not thinking about it but in the gym we're able to start getting good reps in pretty quickly uh if they if they just focus on those couple of things so i i could not agree more i and i get frustrated on both ends of things I, i've heard 
listen to some very smart sprint people talk about sprint mechanics and at, at, maybe they're looking at the athletes that I don't have coming in my, 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 you know, my door. Cause the kids I see are the kids that you just described there. These are the kids that they have no posture. They're, they're sitting like they do, you know, in third hour math class um, and trying to run like they do in third hour math class and any type of posture and position through run is, is, they have none. And from there, everything just kind of, kind of crumbles down. Um, they, they kind of look like the road runner kicking out the back. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then taking these massive boom, boom strides. Um, cause they're trying to run fast. So the longer the stride, the, you know, the faster they're going to go, which is not the case. Yeah. And then that heel striking thing affects so much stuff. Um, trying to get some of our cross country athletes and, and track runners to, to change that, um, for us has been one of the hardest things, um, because they've ingrained it so hard through the years. Yeah. The, the other kids who aren't the cross country and track kids don't have such bad habits. And I totally agree with you. Like, Oh my gosh, the, the, the little changes that you can make in a very short period of time, once, once athletes are actually able to feel their body a little bit. And then, then from there, I agree with you. Just simple, simple changes. Hey, don't, don't let the arm, you know, cross way over the body. Keep it on this side, guys. Yeah. Like what are we doing here? Um, but, but just, just simple stuff. Um, cause I really, I don't want the athlete thinking that hard when they're running, especially if they're doing a, you know, football, soccer or something where they're, they have to think about the play, the ball, the, the, whatever it is, the coverage that they're running. They can't think to themselves, you know, what my elbow position is as I'm, you know, running yeah. my, running my flag route. So yeah, hundred percent. I love it. And, and it's, it's huge. And we've, it been able to ingrain it as like, this is a little different topic, but you know, at first you get, might get some kickback from like, let's say volleyball athletes. We train, uh, surprisingly a lot of cheerleaders and professional dancers now. And we're able to explain to them, like they all need to sprint. Um, and when you talk about coordination, when you talk about being explosive, I mean, you talk about CNS development, like every one of these athletes, cheerleaders included dancers included, uh, are going to get a high return on, on sprint work. And, uh, we've been able to ingrain that in our population now where we don't really have any, uh, kickback on that. But in my mind, if you ask me what's one exercise, if you only had one exercise to do for the rest of your life, it'd be sprinting for me. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. See, now I'm thinking about that. It would be hard to rival that one. I don't know. I, I, the CNS piece is, is such a big thing. Like that is, yeah. there's really nothing else that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even like for aging, like muscle development, like, man, I don't, I lift probably like 30% of the volume I used to lift and I sprint more now. And I have not lost a single pound of muscle. Like I've actually probably lost some body fat and maintained am i able to one rep max as much probably not because it's more i feel like that's more of like a technical skill like you you get really comfortable doing that and if you don't do it for a while it kind of goes away but i feel better my joints feel better i'm leaner um i've maintained muscle mass so even even the longevity piece so like my goal is like continue to sprint to some intensity all the way up till the day i die and if that might be slow right at some point right but as long as i'm still getting like a maximal output from from my body and uh, whatnot and then if you go if you go look at elite sprinters those guys don't spend as much time in the gym as you think they do and they're all jacked right like 
there's a lot to there's a lot of development in in the lower body and the trunk that happens just running as fast as you can. Yeah. Yeah. So sell me on this. I'm a high school volleyball athlete. Obviously my goal is to to jump high. Um, you know, the approach touch, you know, is, is, is always the, the number we're chasing so I can put it on my college recruiting, da, 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 da. Um, but if I come to Hanson Athletics, you're going to say, hey, you need to sprint. Mm-hmm. S- s- how, sell me as in, in the way of if I'm going, I know you've talked about it, but like specifically to volleyball, like we have a lot of volleyball athletes that will listen to this and whatnot. What in, in the way of trying to connect the dots here between elite volleyball play and hey we need to sprint yeah how does that work so my conversation like we said uh, kind of what we just talked about so i talked to the athlete about okay you know most of them come in and want to get their touch higher their verticals higher right and so that comes with an approach as well so kind of walk them down the visualization of like okay coming into a into a jump into a touch or even if you're blocking slide step hit the ground get back off the ground so um, what's the fastest way we can do that? So then I'll explain to them, okay, sprint, like sprinting is obviously uh, at the highest intensity of that type of movement that you can do. So coming in, bouncing off the ground, I'm like, what do we do each rep? Every step when we sprint, we absorb our body weight plus like 600 to 1,000 pounds of force into one foot and reverse it, right? So as I drive it, the adaptation in your lower leg and your ankle, as well as uh, get your body able to fire at higher speeds, uh, you're going to be able to come into that approach and get quicker off the ground. So you're going to be able to get into your position. You need to be faster, meet the ball higher and, uh, and be able to power through that ball. Cause your, your whole nervous system, obviously everything's connected through your nervous system. And uh, you, you're going to, you're going to be hitting the ball harder, even if we don't touch any upper body exercises. Right. Um, so that ability as an athlete to be fast, reactive and have a strong lower leg and ankle um, is going to be paramount. And number two, uh, you're going to get that that volume uh, with that that's going to help you not run into uh, as much knee pain during the season. Uh, ankle rolls, uh, ankle pain, like those are common injuries you see in volleyball. And uh, being able to explain to them, you know, this is why we do this stuff and this is also why we do change of direction. So now you're, you're strengthening those ankles, moving through different movements. Like in a volleyball, you're reacting. So you have all kinds of different steps that happen. Uh, you might have to avoid your teammate and then get to the ball. Like there's all kinds of different things that come into play and the speed work uh, I, you can always tie back into replicating what's happening on the court um, per se, even more than the weight room in my opinion. And uh, so that, that would be the conversation route I went down to and then just kind of explaining the importance of the nervous system. Cause a lot of younger athletes or even adults don't really understand probably what I'm even talking about when I talk about the, the brain being able to to fire the muscles in the body and speak to the body and control it. So uh, that'd be kind of the, the route I would go down with them and just give them some visualizations that they can relate to with, with their sport and the specific things happening within their sport and uh, go back from there. And I always tell my volleyball athletes, I'm like, you guys are like, you guys are like, for lack of better terms, power athletes. Like you are you are moving quick and exploding. Like your conditioning is really not as important. And same with softball, baseball, like everything is in burst sprints. Like you are essentially are like a very similar demand neurologically as like a sprinter. Like you, you have to be able to move fast. And uh, the only thing different is you have to be able to repeat that uh, play to play. So uh, that'd be my, that'd be my tie in or or way to kind of convince a volleyball player. Can you, and, and we've said it a few times. 
I understand it. You understand it. Can you describe that nervous system piece with sprinting just for the lay person that has, might not have a clue what that, you know, nervous system adaptation, um, what the yeah. heck does that mean? So and why is sprinting so good at that? Yeah. So your nervous system, I mean, that, that's your brain's communication with uh, pretty much everything in your body, but particularly we're talking about muscles, uh, the ability to fire, whether you're t- like, you might've heard muscle fibers, like you have fast switch, slow twitch, doesn't matter. Like, uh, by moving at fast speeds, you drive this adaptation where your brain has to speak quickly to the, your body. Okay. And the fastest, twitchiest athletes you see, when you see an athlete, you say, wow, that athlete's athletic. That athlete can jump high. They're very efficient at transmitting a message from the brain instantaneously to the body and getting that muscle to fire um, completely, right? So being able to uh, require a large action from the body quickly. Um, that's, that's what your nervous system does. And, uh, moving slow will not train. Like, so when you're lifting weights, uh, you know, squatting, whatever, and particularly how it's done in most places, it's very slow. So if you move slow, you're actually not taxing that nervous system, uh, much at all. You have, you have to move fast and you have to make it react and contract and relax uh, quickly right so sprinting is like the king of that because like i said you're coming into the ground with one foot typically uh depending on what you weigh and how strong you are anywhere like i said 500 600 pounds of force up to a thousand which i don't have a single athlete that i could make do some kind of quick movement with a barbell on their back with 600 pounds on one leg Um, so you're able to overload that system uh, so much that you're going to create the same way as you think about putting on muscle, right? You're going to create adaptations uh, within your body that instead of it putting on muscle, this is actually going to be more of a brain game where, where you're improving your brain's ability to speak with your body. And that's why we do isometrics too. Like my athletes that nervous system isn't as uh, developed when we do isometric pull, overcoming isometrics, they're shaking a lot. They're shaking. The brain's trying to talk to the body, trying to fire the muscle. There's not a lot of stability through the movement. My athletes that are more developed, they can push as hard as they can, and they still look pretty smooth. So it's a really indicative way of seeing, okay, that athlete is underdeveloped there, or or they're looking pretty good. Can they put out max out- outputs and look like they're in control of their body? Um, so that that's kind of what we're talking about when we when we talk in relation to sport performance and and the brain, and and it takes time to recover too. Like it, when I sprint an athlete full speed. Uh, we're not doing another fly or, or full speed for at least 24 to 48 hours because it's it costs a lot. It's just like doing a one rep max. Like you're not going to walk in the next day. If you hit a PR on Wednesday, there, there's very low likelihood that you're going to hit a PR on Thursday. You're going to be slower um, unless you were just like, let's say there was a technical improvement in one day, which is also not really that uh likely but um there's gonna be a recovery period so um it's it's the same way you train your muscles and you think about putting on muscle which people are more familiar with but now we're talking about uh your nervous system and how efficient and effective it is at contracting and relaxing muscles uh in a coordinated pattern so sprinting is a lot my best athletes that sprint fast are very relaxed when they run they're not clenching up they're not squeezing super tight now they're able to attack, be very aggressive, fire a muscle, but then relax that muscle so they can move quickly through space. Because the more relaxed you can stay uh, while doing it, you're able to move your limbs faster. So those are all kind of things that t- tie into that. But if hopefully that explains it enough to people that aren't quite sure what I'm talking about, that makes sense to them. 
No, that's perfect. I, I, I think it's, I mean, gosh, you go back to, oh gosh, who's the guy in the eighties? Ben Johnson back in the day in the track days, you like used to do heavy bench press and, and, you know, oh gosh, who was his coach? Oh my gosh. Is it Charlie Francis? Could that be right? I know that. Am name. I making this up? Yeah, probably. It might way be. before your time. Holy cow. No, but like he, he would bench press heavy. Like, well, why, why is Ben bench pressing? That, 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 like that nervous system piece. Like it, 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 like when you bench really, really heavy, I mean, it's from, from head to toes. It's a sprinting. I'd argue is a whole lot better, you know, with that. Yeah. Um, I know the athletes that, that we've seen, if, if, if they're able to, you know, jump really high on the Sparta plate, they're able to sprint really fast, vice versa. If they're able to sprint really fast. You're able to jump really high, you know? Yeah. So, so that, that connection for all athletes, I, 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 I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you have to be careful with that. You you want to overload it, you know, and, and, you know, like you said, I think that rest piece is, is huge. Um, yeah. Cause real quick. Yeah. Cause fatigue is like, you got to think about that, like as a coach. So if you're a coach listening to this, like if you, like the day before a game, you do not want to max out that intensity with like a, with sprinting because you're going to send them in under recovered with their, with their neurological. And then you might run into more injuries because uh, their body's not communicating as well, or their brain's not communicating as well with their body. And then a comment on like what you said with the bench is like, there's a way to tie this in too with like, this is what we do. It's, it's kind of a spin off. It's like French contrast, but we don't run the full thing. If anybody's familiar with Cal Dietz, but essentially you lift something heavy, which like you said, fires the nervous system, primes it up. But then we go into something that's fast, whether that's a, a depth drop push up, whether that's a med ball throw into the wall. Um, so we're going to capitalize on that CNS being fired up and then move fast because we're still looking for that fast adaptation with the upper body. Um, so we're going to always pair our heavy movements with a dynamic movement, uh, so that we can still drive that adaptation and still get even more improvements on the weight room side, uh, for what we're looking for with our athletes on the field, which is like quick, explosive, reactive, uh, athletes. And, um, that's, that's how we kind of tie in what we're talking about with sprinting into the weight room. Like we're never really just lifting slow and move, like we're always pairing it with something fast. I know our distance kids always used to make fun of our sprinters because they didn't think they worked very hard because they were always like sitting around. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it is funny because I, and I know you're a big fan too. Tony Holler um, with the feed the cat thing. Mm -hmm. Like you just, you, you work really hard. You know, a cat will sprint across the house, you know, and then they'll lay there for hours, yeah. you know, and then, then they'll sprint across the house again and then they'll lay there for hours, you know? So similar thing too, when you, when you do it, like you do have to be careful with, with the load. That's why some of this nonsensical excessive conditioning, um, that sport coaches will, will run their athletes through. Yes. You have to be in shape. Yes. We, not discounting that, but like you, you, it's really easy to overdo it. And then you couple it with kids being at attached to their phones and, you know, they're taking 14 AP classes and, you know, they, they have finals and projects and stuff. And now they don't sleep the way they need to. They're not recovering the way they need to. And, and you just, you know, kill them with some crazy workout of this or that or excessive spring or excessive, like it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And I would challenge like too, like if you're listening to this, go, go to your local soccer coach and say, who are your best athletes? And then say, and then say, oh, why are they good? Guarantee they say, oh, they're fast. They're uh, they're able to accelerate fast, or they get to the ball, or they can kick really hard. All those, all the attributes they're going to explain are uh, not. I guarantee they don't say, well, my most conditioned athlete is my best yeah. soccer player, right? They're going to say they're fast athlete, or they're quick athlete, yeah. um, or my powerful athlete. Like 
that and that's why in my mind it makes no sense why they like train the opposite of that because they would i promise you like i can't think like maybe it would happen where a coach is like well gracie can run forever and that's why she's so good at soccer but odds are that's not going to be what they say they're actually going to explain what the athlete that i'm talking about we're trying to develop right now even if the athlete is not in the best shape you know what i'm saying so very cool Darren, we've we've locked up fifty one minutes here. What what do you wish I would have asked you that I did not? What I'd leave out? Oh man, I don't. I think we hit we hit some good stuff on speed. Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit in the beginning about you know athlete culture and and gyms and how they need to be a positive space and the coaching delivery and and whatnot. Um, yeah, and I would say if people are listening to this and they're going to dive into let's say a coach and. They want to start getting into speed training too. It's like, just don't dive too much into technical in the beginning and you have to let athletes get reps. So even if you just listen to this, you write everything down, you're like, oh, I got to look for this, this, and this. It's really easy in speed work to overcoach. And uh, what happens is athletes think too much and they're not actually getting maximal outputs. Like I said, if you want the adaptation, you got to be, you got to be running as fast as you can over 95%. So if you load up athletes too much, there's sometimes a lot of things I want to say in here, but like when I'm coaching a group, but I just have to, you just let it go. You let them run fast. And then you think, okay, next session, what is some of the prep stuff I could do that I could start to teach this in a slower manner. But, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're teaching speed and you're diving into it, you have to be, uh, very careful at, at over coaching, because again, you need to move fast and you can't, if you're going to move fast, you can't be thinking a lot. Love it. Yeah. I, and I've noticed too, the more you coach with that, the more robotic they get it with it. And the more they clench up, earlier, they're like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Chopping through, yeah. you know, you know, and like you said earlier, your fastest guys are the most relaxed ones. Relax, you know? and, relax, smooth. Yeah. And that, that's athleticism. Like I, again, like power athlete teaches us, like we we're both familiar with is like the best athletes just move seamlessly through basic movement patterns. So, um, you know, implementing those and paying a lot of attention to detail on the lifting stuff you're doing. That's like a squat, step up, lunge, um, and getting those really efficient at those that's going to carry over to their running, their sprinting. And, uh, if your athlete can move smoothly through space, relaxed and play, feel like they're playing slow, that's going to be the best, the, the best athlete you can put on the field. Yeah. Very cool. Darren, people want to find more about Hanson <laughs> athletics. Where do oh, they go? Unfortunately, way too many places. Just uh, hit handsathletics.com, um, social media, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, dude, you name it. We're on there, except for Twitter. Uh, it was taken, so it's just Coach D. Hansen. But um, yeah, it's, and it hasn't been used in like five years, and I can't get it unlocked. Oh. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're on all the platforms. You can just kind of tune in, see what some of our athletes are doing. We put some educational stuff up on there. Um, got a podcast hands athletics radio we got a blog um we got a lot of stuff just trying to give to people for free to give them some value and uh like i said we got some remote stuff but um if definitely if you're in obviously adam's area get into his gym and train with him as as you want ideally you work on site with somebody in your town so um you know if you're somebody that's in a state that's listening to this you can always reach out i have some a network of coaches from a couple different organizations i'm in that I know do a good job. And if you're looking for somewhere to train, uh, potentially we could link you up with, with someone in your area. And uh, yeah, that's what I got on that. There we go. Awesome. 
Cool. Dan, I appreciate your time, bud. Wealth of information. You do, you do very, very well and you do it right. Um, especially with working with kids. I, th I think that's a big deal because the, um, Don Meyer, one of my favorite basketball coach, actually the, my favorite basketball coach had the quote, um, a coach will have hundreds, if not thousands of athletes in a career, but an athlete only gets one career. So yep. when, when it's so easy for coaches just to be, Oh, okay. Well they hurt themselves next man up. Oh, they hurt themselves next man up. Um, but if you know that, that one athlete that got to the side, I mean, their, their, their career's done. So to, to have you have the, you know, put the effort that you do into the, your athletes is, is appreciated. Thanks. Well done. I, I really think you can change lives. I mean, you sim, it's such a simple setting, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of lessons and confidence and, uh, a, the ability for somebody to learn to care for their body and love training and moving athletically, which will carry over to so many things in their life, whether they're an athlete or not. Um, it's such an influential and impactful and yeah. athletes, like you stated earlier, man, I have parents all the time. Like, Hey, will you tell my kid to eat more protein or take this up? Whatever, like anything, like they yeah. will listen to me and they won't listen to their parents. So you have a very powerful role, uh, you know, be respectful within that. And, and, uh, and, uh, also, you know, push the kids to be better people and, and uh, carry over the traits you're teaching them just when the strength conditioning side to their everyday life. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Darren, you're the man. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Listeners, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for listening to another episode of Oak Performance Radio. Don't forget to check us out on the social at Oak Performance and online at www.oakstrength.com backslash Oak Performance. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.